the confidence that we have that the Lord has never failed us. He never will fail. Failure is not something that God does. He doesn't fail his people. He doesn't forget his people. He doesn't leave or forsake his people, but that he is with us in the midst of the highs and the lows, and he is with us in everything we are walking through. And you you might walk in here today and you might feel close to God, and you might walk in here today and you might feel a million miles from God. You might walk in here today and you might not even be sure that God exists, but he is here. He is as we sang, he is, his goodness is running after you and me today, chasing after us to bless us. And so that's why we're here. That's why we're here to remind ourselves and to remind each other of that. So thank you guys so much for being here. If we haven't met, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. Uh, this is the time of the service when, weather permitting, we usually uh, dismiss our kids to go outside for some fun time, um, but the weather is not permitting today. And so kids, you guys are going to hang out uh, in here with us today. Also, just want to give you a heads up. At the end of our sermon time today, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so on that back uh, table back there, these these little um, plastic, they look like shot glasses, uh, these kind of little plastic things. So go ahead and grab one. Um, You can do that at any time during the service. I'm not going to be distracted by that or anything like that. So if you haven't gotten one and and you plan to take the Lord's Supper with us, just grab one uh, on the back welcome table back there. All right, if you've you've been here with us or you've been watching online, welcome to those of you guys watching online as well. Uh, We are continuing our series today in the book of Psalms. And, And we're asking the question, how do the Psalms speak for us? How do the Psalms give expression to the deepest needs and the deepest longings and the deepest emotions in the human soul? You know, for literally thousands of years, the people of God have used these prayers and these songs that you find in the book of Psalms to help them make sense of the joy and the pain and the sadness and the fear and the anger and the whole range of human emotions that we experience as human beings created in the image of God. And what I've always loved about the Psalms, what, I, what I've always found so helpful about the Psalms is that the Psalms never sugarcoat life. The Psalms never expect us to try to pretend like everything is just fine and wonderful and I'm just so hashtag blessed by everything going on in my world. The Psalms teach us to be honest about the hard things in life, but they also show us how God is with us in times of trouble. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 31. Now this Psalm, Psalm 31, was written by a man who knew a lot of hard times in his life. It was written by King David. Uh, greatest king in ancient Israel. And if you read David's story in the Hebrew scriptures, you find that he experienced some amazing highs, but he also experienced some really deep and awful lows. Literally had to run for his life and go into hiding on multiple occasions. And, And this is a song, this is a prayer that he writes during one of those dark times. So let's listen to what he says, Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. 
I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of the enemies and my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plot of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful and abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's just hear that today. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Now, this was written by a man who faced a lot of hard times in his life, and he shows us how to find hope in the Lord in times of trouble. Now, when we walk through the hard times, so times of uncertainty, times of loss, times of grief, there are two very natural reactions that we typically find welling up inside of ourselves, fear and sadness. Very natural reactions in hard times, fear and sadness. And you see David dealing with both of these in Psalm 31. Fear is forward-looking. So fear looks at the future and fears and is worried about what the future looks like. Sadness is backward-looking. Sadness looks back with regret, with grief about what we've lost. And when we're faced with these emotions, our natural inclination, I would say especially as 21st century Americans, is to deny it. To, to avoid it, to try to ignore it, to try to drown it out with other voices. We have so many options. We have so many crutches. We have so many opiates to help us escape our fear and sadness. For some of us, that's literal opiates that help us escape. For some of us, that's work, pornography, or vacations, or social media, or food, or Netflix, or relationships. But we as 21st century Americans have more ways to escape our fear and our sadness than any group of people in the history of the world. And yet, we are experiencing higher rates of anxiety and depression than at any other time in recorded history. 
That's why we need the Psalms. Because the Psalms rehumanize us. The Psalms tell us it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be honest about your fear. But they also teach us that sadness and fear don't have to rule us. They show us that God gives courage in the face of fear, that God gives joy in the midst of sadness. So the Psalms invite us to be honest about the fear and the sadness in our souls, but they also enable us to hear and declare and to follow the voice of trust in times of trouble. So that's what you're actually going to hear in this Psalm today. We're going to hear three voices. We're going to hear the voice of fear, the voice of sadness, and the voice of trust. Voice of fear, voice of sadness, voice of trust. First, the voice of fear. Again, I love how the psalm ends. Look at verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Amen. Like, I found myself preaching that to myself all week this week. But here's the thing. That's how the psalm ends. It's not how the psalm begins. It begins with David crying out for help. Look at verse one. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Look at those words. Refuge, rock, fortress, deliver, rescue. It's all battle imagery. He's under attack. He is surrounded by his enemies. He is in deep trouble. And he doesn't try to hide his fear. He doesn't try to ignore his fear. He doesn't deny his fear. He doesn't just put on a happy face. He doesn't just keep calm and carry on or whatever other cliche you want to throw at him. He cries out for help. He's honest about his fear. Look at verse 13. I mean, he almost sounds paranoid here. For I hear whispering on every side. Terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. And I think so many times, for many of us, we try to deal with our fear by denying it, by pretending that it isn't there. That's not what the scriptures teach us to do. That's not what David did here. He didn't silence his fear, he voiced his fears. Do you know that it's okay to acknowledge your fear? If you're struggling with anxiety and fear today, it's okay to be honest about that. The scriptures invite us to bring those things honestly to God. Like, let's be honest, the world can be a scary place. And we live in a cultural moment when that anxiety is ratcheted up at a fevered pitch. And so many of us feel like things are spinning out of control. And if you're there, you don't have to deny your fear. If you're there, the first step is to be honest about your fear. And that doesn't make you a wimp or a baby or a coward. The the guy who's writing this psalm is the guy who killed Goliath with a stone in a sling. Like, he is a pretty courageous guy. Stanley Hauerwas says this. He says, the courageous have fears that cowards never know. Man, that's true. The courageous have fears that cowards never know. David knows the terror of battle. Like he could take any of us in this room. He is a mighty warrior, but he knows that the way to find courage in the midst of battle is to be honest about his fears and to bring them to the Lord. So you can't just skip to the end of the psalm. You can't just skip to verse 24. If you're afraid, you can't just skip to be strong and let your heart take courage. 
You got to do the hard work of verses 1 through 23, of being honest about the voice of fear that you hear. And, And honestly, bringing those fears to the Lord, that's the only way to truly overcome your fears. So the first voice you hear in the psalm is the, verse, is the voice of fear. But there's another voice that often we hear during times of trouble. It's the voice of sadness. Sadness, verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Listen to this language. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. He says, my sadness is all-consuming. My eye is wasted from grief. I've cried until I don't have any tears left. My, My soul is wasted from grief. I feel like I'm dying inside. My body is wasted from grief. I don't have any strength left. The sadness is absolutely overwhelming. I am exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. My bones are wasting away. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had something weighing on you so heavily that it feels like a, like, like a huge rock is crushing your lungs and pushing all of the life out of you? See, we carry sadness and grief in every part of our being, and it can play out in so many different ways. It can show up in so many different reactions. Like most of us, when we think of sadness, what do we think of? We think of crying, right? You cry when you're sad. And and that's true for some of us. But that's not always true for all of us. Sometimes sadness looks like crying. Sometimes the psalmist would say it looks like physical exhaustion. My my, my body is wasted from grief. Sometimes it looks like spiritual exhaustion. Just the sense of of spiritual deadness because my soul is wasted from grief. I'm, I'm not really a crier when I get sad, I'll tear up every once in a while, actually usually more when I'm happy than when I'm sad, but I haven't had like a good, like heaving, good, ugly cry in like 20 plus years. But that doesn't mean that I don't experience sadness. It just takes other forms. Sometimes for me, it looks like anger. Sometimes it looks like physical exhaustion. Sometimes it looks like overeating. But, but at its root, when I really take time to trace it back, I find that my sadness is contributing to these things. And, and I don't know what it is for you, but friends, your sadness will have some effect on you. And it's, impo- it's important to listen to your soul and your body and what they are telling you so that you can deal with the sadness that's at the root. And so ask yourself, is there something deeper going on here? Is there something underneath that I need to deal with? Now, maybe there is and maybe there isn't. Maybe you just need a a good nap. Maybe you just need, maybe it's something purely physical. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But, But you should at least ask the question. Regardless of how it manifests itself to you, we all experience sadness. We all experience loss. That's what sadness is. Sadness is a deep sense of loss that we feel when we've lost something good, something true, something beautiful. And that's something we all experience in this world. There are a lot of things that that produce sadness in our lives, a lot of things that produce a sense of loss, but it really always boils down to two main categories. We can experience sadness as a result of our sin, or we can experience sadness as a result of our suffering. Sometimes we experience sadness as as a result of sin. Look at verse 10. My strength fails, why? Because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. So, So notice what he does. He doesn't just say, I'm sad. 
He doesn't just say, my strength fails. He's not just talking about what, how he feels. He is tracing his feelings back to their root. He's asking himself, why am I sad? Why does my strength fail? Why are my bones wasting away? And verse 10, he says, I gotta be honest, it's because of my sin. My sin is causing my sadness. Now, now please hear me loud and clear because there is a lot of mistaken thinking about this around churchy circles. I did not say that feeling sad is a sin. I said sometimes we experience sadness as a result of our sin. So the Bible says that there are times when it is right to be sad. It is right to be sad over our sin. It is right to grieve when we have turned our backs on God. Remember what sadness is. Sadness is that sense of loss when we've lost something good or something beautiful and there is nothing better or more beautiful than God. But sin cuts us off from God. Sin is our attempt to turn our backs on God and to try, try to find happiness without him. Sin, by definition, cuts us off from true joy. Listen to the way the, the prophet Jeremiah describes sin. Actually, the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2 says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. Like God doesn't say at its root, at least in that passage, that sin is just a violation of a standard or just a violation of a law. But sin is seeing the fountain of living waters, the only thing that can ever satisfy my soul and looking at it, turning my back on it and going and digging in the dry dirt and putting my face down to it and trying to suck some kind of joy and moisture and life out of it. That's what he says sin is. And so sadness over sin is a gift. Like if you're being crushed by the weight of your sin right now, that is a gift of God's grace. It's God's way of showing you that you're living for the things that can never truly satisfy. It's his way of calling you back to the fountain of living waters. And, and some of us are being crushed right now by the weight of our sin. And the road to healing is to be honest about it. You don't have to run away from God anymore. As a matter of fact, you can simply turn back and be honest and tell him about it and own your sin and receive his forgiveness and come back to the only thing that can ever truly satisfy you and give you real joy. But, but it's, sin is not the only reason we experience sadness. We also sometimes experience sadness because of our suffering. Verse 11, why is he said? Because of all my adversaries. I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. You ever felt like everybody turned their back on you? Like all of a sudden, those people who were supposed to be so close have just ghosted you, and now you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death by yourself, and they're nowhere to be found? That's how he feels. Sometimes we're sad because of our own sin. Sometimes we're sad because of the sin of other people. Some of you in this room have been abused and used and mistreated and neglected in awful ways. The people you trusted 
The people you loved, the people you gave yourself to broke your trust and weaponized your love and used it against you to hurt you. And, and, and maybe for you, it's, it's, it's the fact of what other people have done to you. Maybe for you, the reason you feel this deep grief is simply grief of living life in a broken world, the suffering of loss that we experience, maybe when you lose someone that you love or someone gets sick. But all of us have experienced grief and loss in one way or another, and it is okay to voice that. You don't have to pretend that it's not there. David listens to the voice of his sadness. He listens to the voice of his fear, but he doesn't stop there. In the midst of the sadness and the fear, there's another voice that he hears. It's the voice of trust. The voice of trust. See, sadness is real. Fear is real. There are real scary things in the world. There are real reasons to be sad in our lives. And so the question is not, will we experience these things? The question is, how will we respond to these things? Will we respond by becoming bitter? By lashing out? by hardening our hearts, by giving up. Friend, your sadness and your fear will drive you somewhere. And the key to dealing with it is not to pretend that we're not sad, not to pretend that we're not angry. The key is to let those emotions drive us to God. So how do we do that? How do we trust God in times of trouble? All right, there's three things you see David doing in this psalm as he trusts the Lord. First, we cry out for God's help. Cry out for God's help. Again, verse one, in you, O Lord. So, so not in all these escape mechanisms that I have, not in all these other crutches and the other, these other opiates that I use to, to numb myself to the pain and the fear. No, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you, now he, now he begins talking about how he trusts the Lord. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. Remember that, that's a key phrase. You've probably heard that phrase before. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. David pleads with God. He cries out to God, but he also trusts that God always has his best interests at heart. And so when you pray, you can pour out your heart to God. You can plead with God to deliver you from whatever you are walking through and you can trust him. You can be confident that God will always answer your prayer in the way that is best for you, even if it doesn't look that way to you. If you knew everything God knows and if you loved yourself as much as God loves you, you would always answer your prayers exactly the way God answers them scary as things look, as, as heartbroken as David feels, he knows that God is still God and he knows that he can still trust him. Cry out for God's help. Secondly, we trust God's hand. Trust God's hand, verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. What's happening to me? is not blind chance, it is not an accident, 
My times are in your hand. The hands that the book of Job said stretched out the heavens and the earth. The hands that uphold and hold all things together. The hands that made human beings out of the dust of the ground. Those are the hands that hold you. I've only ever heard one other sermon preached from from Psalm 31. Uh, It was by a guy named Alistair Begg. So not Alex Trebek, um, Alistair Begg. Uh, Sometimes when I say that, people think I'm saying Alex Trebek. Alistair Begg, he is a pastor in Cleveland. Uh, About 20 years ago, I heard him preach actually a whole series of messages on this one phrase, my times are in your hand. And it was really powerful, um, partly because of what he said and partly because you know he has this amazing Scottish accent, and so he could literally read the dollar menu at McDonald's, and it would sound profound. But, but I was reminded that I, that I heard him preach this as I was preparing this sermon this week, because I look over the last 20-plus years since I first heard this verse, since I heard him preach those sermons. I've seen my life fall apart and get put back together again. I've seen dreams come true and then evaporate into thin air. I've been married and divorced and married again. My wife and I have had three beautiful children and and we've lost a baby. And through every bit of it, this verse is just as true now as it was 20 plus years ago when I first heard it. God has not forgotten me. God has not abandoned me. Nothing in the last 20 years and nothing that will happen in the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years takes him by surprise. My times are in his hand. Your times are in his hand. You can trust him, friends. When you can't trust anything else, you can trust him. Cry out for God's help. Trust his hand. Finally, seek God's face. Seek his face. Seek his presence. Because the truth of the matter is that you and I don't just need answers. Like when you're walking through the deep darkness of intense sorrow or fear, answers honestly don't really help all that much. We don't just need answers. We need God. We need the presence of God. We need him to be with us in the midst of our fear and our sadness. Verse 16, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Let me know that you're with me, God. Let your face shine on me. Because the path to joy in the midst of sadness, the path to hope in the midst of fear is to let our sadness and our sorrow and our fear drive us to the presence of God. And when you do that, you will find joy in the midst of your sadness. But it won't be this kind of superficial, hide your head in the sand, kind of unrealistic joy. It'll be the kind of joy that knows the pain of a broken heart, but also knows the hope of the God who heals. Verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. That's why you can trust his hand. That's why we can have joy in the midst of sadness. That's why we can have hope in the midst of despair. That's why we can have courage in the face of fear because God knows our distress. Now listen, he doesn't just know about it. He knows it. 
He's felt it. He's, he has experienced sadness and fear and despair because 2,000 years ago, God became one of us. He stepped into our world. He experienced the pain and the suffering and the sadness and the despair and all of those things that are part and parcel of human experience in a broken world. Prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 that, that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows, intimately acquainted with grief. And he didn't just endure those sorrows by accident. He endured them for us. Jesus endured the ultimate sorrow of being cut off from his father so that you and I could experience the joy of God's presence. Listen to Jesus as he's preparing for his death. As he's preparing for his death, Jesus says this, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. I feel like I'm dying inside. My bones are wasting away. And in the garden, he goes and he, he takes his sorrow and his fear to the Father. And he prays and he cries out for help. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, Father, please find another way. Please find another way to bring salvation to the world. Father, if it's possible, find another way so that I won't have to go through the hell that awaits me. Then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus cries out to his father. He pleads with his father. The, the Bible tells us that he was in such agony as he looked forward to the cross that he sweat drops of blood. Crushed under the sorrow, terrified in the face of the fear, but in the midst of the sorrow and the fear, he trusted the voice of his father. And the soldiers came and they took him and they tortured him and they nailed him to a cross, and even his closest friends abandoned him. And as he hung there on that cross, forsaken by God and men, he prayed Psalm 31. He prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the scriptures say he gave up the ghost. He, he died. So we all experience sadness and fear in this world. Sadness and fear because of the, what other people have done to us. Sadness and fear because of our own sins. But Jesus experienced the soul-crushing sadness of sin because he was bearing our sin. He didn't just suffer because of the sins of others. He suffered for the sins of others. He suffered in their place. He suffered in our place. He took our sin on himself. He was cut off. The father momentarily turned his face away from Jesus so that he could eternally turn his face toward us in love. Make his face shine on us. Jesus experienced the ultimate sadness so that we could have the ultimate joy. He faced our deepest fear so that we could have ultimate hope. That's why you can trust him. Your times are in his hands. And the hands that hold your times are not only the hands that created the heavens and the earth. They're not only the hands that fashioned human beings from the dust of the ground. They're not only the hands that hold all things together. They are the hands that were pierced for you. In the midst of your deep sorrow and your soul-crushing sadness and your terrifying fear, you can trust him because your times are in his nail-scarred hands. That truth, will change everything for you. 
That truth doesn't make us deny our sadness, doesn't make us deny our fear, but it gives us hope and it gives us courage and it gives us joy in the midst of sadness and sorrow and fear. It's a beautiful truth. And yet it's a truth that is so easy to forget. That's why we need each other. That's why we come together, to remind one another of the good news. And that's why we're taking the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. So if you've got those those cups here for the Lord's Supper, we're going to move into a time of taking the Lord's Supper. But this is why we take the Lord's Supper, because all week long, we're hearing other voices. All week long, we're being crushed under the voice of sorrow. We're being crushed under the voice of fear. But we also, in the midst of that, need to hear the voice of trust. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper to preach to us, to tell us the voice of joy in the midst of our sorrow, to tell us about the voice of hope and courage in the midst of our fear. It's a reminder that God is with us and that he is for us, that our times are in his hand, that God is not some remote, distant, Bette Midler type deity who's just watching us from a distance, but he is the God who is with us. He's the God with stars in his hands. And Jesus told us to eat and to drink this until the day when he returns and sets all things right and makes all things new and wipes away every tear from our eyes. And so if you're trusting Jesus, his death and resurrection to make you right with God, he invites you to to celebrate this supper with us today. So let's begin doing this. First, peel off, if you can, without making a big mess of everything, because I'm struggling here. Peel off that top wrapper, and it's got a wafer underneath there. Scriptures tell us that the Lord Jesus, facing unbelievable sorrow and fear, on the night before he went to the cross, he took bread. And he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he had eaten, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the body of Christ broken for us. Thank you for the blood of Christ shed for us. Thank you for the good news that this bread and this cup preaches to us. Lord, we want to be honest. We're we're not... We're not always strong in and of ourselves. Life is really hard sometimes. And many of us in this room are are dealing with soul-crushing sadness. We're not always brave. We're not always courageous. We're We're not always confident. And there are fears swirling around us. And we want to be honest about that. But we thank you that in the midst of our fear and in the midst of our sadness, you speak to us that you love us and that you will never forsake us, that you are with us and that you are for us, that our times are in your hand, in the hands of the one who stretched out his hands and took the nails, took the the sin, took the, the, the punishment, took the hell that we deserved 
died in our place and rose again and is coming again to set all things right and to make all things new. So Lord, in the midst of whatever we are walking through, I don't know what everyone in this room is walking through, but in the midst of whatever it is, remind us the body of Christ was broken for us. The blood of Christ was shed for us. And that gives us hope that nothing in life or death can take away. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We, we sing, we worship, we rejoice in your goodness and your faithfulness to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. The very first line, in the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light. And I don't know if you feel yourself there, but if you do, I want you to know that Jesus came specifically for you. And come for, for people who have everything all together or think they have all together. We, none of us have it all together, but who think that they have it all together. And so in the midst of our sorrow, and, and this could be maybe you've never become a follower of Jesus or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you're just feeling that darkness around you. That's exactly where the Lord wants to enter in. It's exactly where Jesus comes into our lives. And so um, if there's anything you're walking through, anything you'd like prayer for, any way we can serve you as a church, maybe information about following Jesus, maybe information about becoming part of this faith family, uh, would love to speak with you either after the service or um, there's a, a communication card on that back table that you can fill out and, and leave with us and would love to follow up with you this week. Uh, secondly, ways to give. Um, if the Lord leads you to give financially, there's ways to do that online. There's our box in the back. Uh, and so if the Lord leads you to do that, we invite you to, to respond to his prompting to do that. Key verse this week is a really short one and a really simple one. It's actually just that one phrase from Psalm 31:15. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. But don't just like let those be words in your mind as you go throughout this week. But when something unexpected comes up or something maybe completely expected, something that, that feels crushing, something fearful, something sorrowful, something that you're walking through, moment, just breathe this out. Just pray this to the Lord. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. My prayer is that we walk through it through this week with that understanding. All right, let's stand and receive our benediction. Benediction is just a, a word of blessing for the road. This is uh, a benediction that the people of God have been using for about 3,500 years. Um, so receive this as you go up. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Peace be with you. Have a great week.